You're listening to The Kin Podcast, episode number 15. And today I'm going to share with you a very interesting interview with somebody who's on his own journey as a seeker and also has two young children. He has a very interesting perspective because throw something else into the mix, he's a very successful entrepreneur. So based in Cape Town, South Africa, A.D. Pinar co-founded a little company you might have heard of called WooThemes back in the day when WordPress was just starting to be a really big thing. Since then, WooThemes have grown a ton as a company, and now AD has founded a new startup called Convergio, which he'll talk about, and he has a very, very interesting way how he integrates his journey as a seeker with how he manages the company, which is really cool. You'll hear more about that in a second. So the last time that I talked to AD was on my process podcast, which I'll link to in the show notes. That was about three years ago. And he shared his experience with, at the time, the beginnings of Convergio, which has now grown a ton. The team has grown a ton. And today we're going to talk to AD about over the past three years, how his journey as a seeker kind of transformed. We'll talk about his habits, his newfound interest in poetry why he's interested in poetry, how has that affected his role as a father and also his role as a manager and founder at Convergio. I'm really excited to share this interview. You know, in all transparency, it was about 11 a.m. when we recorded in Nicaragua and like 7 or 8 p.m. in South Africa. So it's really cool to record with somebody who's halfway across the world but someone who you still have so much in common with, who has such an interesting journey and story to share. So without further ado, let's get to it. You're listening to The Kin Show, where we explore the intricacies of the human heart, faith, relationships, spirituality, parenthood, and more. Celebrating our journeys as seekers. We believe in love, in giving more of it to every person we interact with, and to ourselves. We believe in living with intention for our children, for our communities, and most importantly, for ourselves. We believe we are all one family, one kin, kindred spirits loved unconditionally by God. And we believe it's more important to actually know God than to just know about God. Seeker, writer, photographer, your host, Marcella Chamorro, shares perhaps way too many personal stories and asks you the right questions to help you uncover what's best for your life. This is not our practice life, so let's make the most of it. Are you ready to hear inspiring interviews and coffee table chats with Marcella? Grab a cup of coffee and prepare to transform your definition of your dream life. Here's your host, boy band lover and master of deep conversations, Marcella Chamorro. Hey, Adi, it's awesome to talk to you again. Welcome to the Kin Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a, it's been a long time since we chatted. It's been around three years. Um, but, you know, I've been around following you for a while. I mean, followed you through your projects, Woo Themes, Public Beta, Receiptful, which is now Convergio, which is a venture-backed startup. And I have to admit, like, back when I started blogging in, like, 2010, I bought so much stuff from Woo Themes. <laughs> I had no clue what I was doing when it came to websites, but I knew I wanted to look nice. And like Woo Themes was the thing back then. And we also have something else in common. We each have two little boys. And yours are how old now? They are four and seven. Four and seven. Okay. So mine are almost five. So four and two. So I'm a few years behind you, but um, starting to get to the nice, easier kind of era. How is how is life looking for you guys these days? 
yeah, I mean, um, I think it's definitely interesting, like, once you have, like, our AD Jr., who's seven now, um, seven and a half almost, um, it's definitely what is interesting there is, I would say, two things. Like, the one is he is able to help out more and fill gaps um, in the house, especially, like, on literally on short notice, like, hey, dude, can you help with this quick, right? Um, which is very helpful, especially raising uh, a younger sibling as well. Um, but in the same kind of vein, uh, I think as kids grow up, their their personal challenges become more complex and complicated as well. And I think what is interesting there, at least in uh, a big part of the experience that I've had, just personally with, with, uh, with them in the last year, is that as they've gotten older, they tend to uncover some wounds that I still have from my childhood, right? So stuff that I kind of, that I almost kind of reliving to, you know, to some extent, uh, vicariously through them, which is interesting because you kind of know that it shouldn't be about me right now. This is mostly like you being a parent and helping them. So, but it's, um, I mean, I totally agree with you. I think that once they get older, they get into that next awesome phase. Um, but the next awesome phase also, at least for us, um, has come with interesting new challenges um, and conversations. I'm not going to lie that my, my son just started preschool and the first time he came home was like, so-and-so didn't want to play with me. I was like driving and I'm like, don't show how much this is affecting you right now. Oh, it's okay, bud. Like, didn't you decide to play with somebody else? And I'm like, I may or may not shed a tear right now because it hurts that it hurts him. And then you realize, like you said, like, this is what's going on inside right now um how does being a parent kind of like change the way that you interact with the world um i want to say it's it's probably changed everything um in the sense that i um i mean maybe because changing well saying it's changed everything is it sounds very grandiose and it's obviously multi-layered if I have to kind of pare that down, if I look at one part of my life in terms of you know being an entrepreneur and building businesses, um, I know, for example, that the effect that being a parent has had on the business has meant that, uh, I mean, with Converger at least, we term it to be a you know a family and life first company, um, where we truly believe that you know it's important for us to do stimulating, challenging, good work. That kind of mindset really changed for me, where I try at least most of the things primarily back to my family um, and what kind of life, um, you know, my wife and I want to have for, for us as a family. Um, I think it's mostly just the awareness thing, by the way. Um, I, I can say many, many things about things that I try and do in that sense, but I think it's mostly just an awareness of saying, you know what, um, you know, in this, this decision I want to make now, whether it's personal, whether it's in business, whether it's something else, um, how, how does this influence impact, um, you know, my family? Um, that I think that's the, the the primary thing that's changed for me you know, in in terms of being a parent. I mean, you once shared with me that shame dies with exposure, which was a you know something that you were exploring back the last time we talked. And I mean, you're very much what I would describe as a seeker. And I'm curious, like, how does your journey as a seeker also affect you know your role as a startup founder and you know in charge of this company and with a staff to lead and a family to lead. You know, it's also not just parenting. It's also, I feel like you are definitely on this path of seeking something else. Yeah, and totally. Um, I, I like the word seeker um, and I like it much more than, for example, being an entrepreneur because I think entrepreneurs are, um, I mean, I think anyone 
that makes something, whether it's you know professional or as a, just as an enthusiast, um, they're ultimately seekers. They're they're trying to manifest about themselves um, in some kind of physical form, right? Physical or digital, um, but just something, some manifestation outside of them, right? I think with the kind of you know seeking, at least for me, um, I think what is interesting is. Because I think it's a, for, for me at least, my, the experience of seeking is it has two parts of it. The, the first is I'm here and I am kind of, I wouldn't say on my own, but I, I am personally exploring and being curious, um, reading, talking to people, looking at things, et cetera, et cetera. And that's part of that, I think, my own evolution, my own personal development. But at the same time, I think um, that when that is just isolated, it is also very empty. It becomes very empty quite soon, um, you know, kind of after the process starts, which I think for me, there's a very natural inclination and process around taking this thing, kind of if I'm seeking in a specific direction, um, bringing people along with me on that journey, right? So um, I, there's obviously a lot of stuff there, you know, in terms of family kind of, uh, kind of environment. Um, there's a lot of stuff that I especially now do with Eddie Jr. because he's slightly older, so I can explore things with him. I mean, we um, a big thing that we explored in, in, in the last couple of months is I started talking to him about Queen, um, the the artist, right? And especially about Freddie Mercury being a little weird. Um, I'm wearing a Queen t-shirt as we speak. <laughs> so then, I'm going to turn on my video to show you for one sec. <laughs> <laughs> then this is obviously written in the stars. You yes, say? I'm a I'm a huge fan of Freddie Mercury. Yes, yeah. So, um, what and and the reason why we did that was it was for, you know for me at the time what was interesting is I started exploring kind of this concepts around business and art rights and I wanted to kind of had that conversation with him as well about what does it mean to be artist? What does it mean to be slightly different? Um, what does it mean to persist with something even though kind of your your peers or societies kind of rubbishes that, um, you know, in in the short term. So I think for me, that's where that interesting thing, kind of, you know, the, the interesting part of seeking lies is, um, you know, on the one part of it is just my own seeking and the other parts is taking that and almost immediately recycling it and infusing the other conversations um, that I've been having um, or that are relevant to what I'm working on or doing at the time. Um, so, I mean, that, as I said, with A Junior, that's definitely a, uh, an example. The other thing that has definitely been a big topic for me in the last couple of years is I mentioned around how with you know conversion and the team, how we've been building this you know family and life first you know company and culture. Uh, and again, for me that that came that was born out of personal um, exploration of how can I put my family first, um, and then trying to translate that with my team into what does this mean for our culture if we want to do something similar? What does it mean for our communication? How do we use Kind of Slack, you know. How do we email? You know, wh when do we take holidays, et cetera, et cetera. So there's many of those then very practical kind of conversations that happen um, as a result of a process of seeking that I'd started somewhere else. Um, if that makes sense. No, it does, and and you know, I, I talking about the company and persisting when you know maybe other people are not on board. I've always felt, and correct me if I'm wrong, <laughs> that you share my reaction to being an entrepreneur a little bit, which is that it can be a little bit traumatizing, um, <laughs> that some relationships fall apart, some interactions with stakeholders go wrong, we let people down, we let ourselves down, uh, other people let us down, we feel betrayed, like it's hard, right? 
how do you kind of persist? You know, what, what is it that you tell AD Jr.? Because I know that entrepreneurship is it's a roller coaster and it's not the easiest thing, not only to explain to a child, but also to, to internalize yourself as you're trying to be okay for everybody else. Um, oh, I mean, I, I, I think the disclaimer is... I mean, am is, I right? Do you find it a little traumatizing? Because I, I do. <laughs> yeah, yes. And I, and like, I, I think for me, the border topic there is, I think, um, as I've gotten further into the world of entrepreneurship, and I mean, the context here is, I, you know, I've, I've only ever had one corporate gig for a whole of six weeks. Um, and I've been, uh, like, from a whole professional career or time span, at least, a professional phase of my life, I, you know, I've been an entrepreneur and working myself. Um, and the deeper I've gotten into that, the more I think that there are parts of just the capitalist system overall um, that's flawed. Um, and flawed, at least in the sense that I think we there are things and people that fall through the cracks. And that I don't think should happen, right? And I think that the personal experience there is, you know, kind of knowing that this system is flawed, but then you know, knowing that, you know, I'm just one cog in a machine, so I can try and change things, right? But, you know, I'm still work and I'm kind of still competing in commercial spaces. I still have competitors out there that may just not care about the things that I care about. You know, I I, I know 100% that I have competitors who completely disregard their families, right? Who are willing to you know, work 80-hour weeks. And regardless of the conversation around how productive an 80-hour week versus a 40-hour week is, the reality is if you compete against people that don't play by the same rules as you, and even if your rules are better, more wholesome, blah, 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 in the capitalist world, that becomes very, very tough, right? Anyway, but I, I digress. But So yes, I like it's all those kind of things that I think makes entrepreneurship very, very hard. Um, I, I'd probably say that the, I think the only there's probably two things that helps me persist uh, at this stage, um, and the the one was to to find kind of my kind of true north star, um, you know, my highest value, which is my family, and to know that anything that happens in business is ultimately secondary to that. And why I say that is a challenge in the business kind of doesn't relate back to the you know my family, like persisting in the business means I'm doing it for my family. And just that slight reframing of the challenge at hand um, makes it slightly easier. Um, so I think that's the one thing. And the second thing is I have learned to just sit in my own discomfort. Um, so whenever I feel a little discontent in the business um, or overwhelmed, I have learned to not try and change that. Um, and just, which is very counterintuitive because what we tell ourselves about entrepreneurs is, like we're gung ho, and if there's a problem, let's go kind of you know you know fight fire or fire and solve this problem. Um, but what I've at least experienced in the last two years within Convergio is that there's just some problems that I've not been able to solve yet, <laughs> and like going at it all the time will just lead to burnout, which probably means I should just sit still um, and perhaps wait for something else to change as well. And I'm not advocating being a a lazy you know a lazy couch potato. Um, but I think just just sitting sometimes, just trying not to do something um, and sticking to the path you've chosen is also helpful. Now, I do have a question about failure. 
Um, when we last talked, we discussed a fear of failure. Now, where are you now? What, how do you feel you are at now with giving yourself permission to fail? I mean, giving yourself permission. That's the, the key word here is permission to fail. Uh, you know, it's hard because like, it's something that we want to give our kids, right? Like permission to make a mistake. It's because we don't want to raise little perfectionists, right? But at the same time, it's hard to let go of it sometimes yourself. Yeah. And you know what? I think uh, where, where I am definitely struggling with this is when within the confines of business, right? Because um, it feels, because that at least when I go through the narrative in my head, right? Um, the narrative is if I fail in business, it has a financial impact, which ultimately means it impacts my family and my life. Um, and that is hard to imagine, right? I mean, that's I, I, that kind of narrative and you know thought process isn't helpful. Um, but there are different things um, when it's not, you know, kind of, uh, it sounds so silly, but when it's not about money, um, then it is much easier for me to just go for it and have some fun um, and see kind of what is on the other side, regardless of whether it's a failure. Yeah, you know, I... It's interesting to me to give myself permission to fail sometimes in front of my kids. I think it's really helpful to, when I share stories about my own failures to my children, like they'll never believe it. Like my, Juan Jose is four and a half and he'll, he kind of looks at me with his face of like impossible. If I tell him stories about like, yeah, you know, like I invested so many thousands of dollars in this app and it did nothing. And he's like, I mean, he doesn't know the, the nuances of what that means, but it's so interesting to see his reaction because obviously we to them are like superheroes, right? But it's important, I think, for them to understand that we do make mistakes and that it's okay and that we learn from them and, and all this stuff. And like you were saying that you share that with AD Jr. It's, it's curious how to break down... And I mean, maybe the word breakdown is the wrong word to use because you don't want to break down the image of you as, you know, I will protect you, right, as a, as a parent. But at the same time, there's a humanity that is helpful for them to see that, you know, mistakes happen, we grow from it, and look, I'm okay. Um, but it's still, it's still incredibly hard. Like I once did an, an exercise of, I'm going to make a list of all my successes and I'm going to make next to it a list of all of my failures. And, and honestly, the failures is like so short compared to the successes, but they, they take up so much more mind space. They feel so much bigger in our heads, uh, compared to our list of successes. I don't know if, if that's still somehow something that you know, having a venture back startup and like all these, these things that, you know, you have on your resume, <laughs> is that still something that, that, that you feel or, or not so much? Uh, partly. I mean, there's definitely, you know, part of this, I, um, I mean, when just after routines, interesting enough, I, I kept saying to myself, um, and to others, I mean, I think I, I published a blog post or two about it as well, um, that, you know, I felt like a one-hit wonder, um, and I felt that I had to prove that I can, you know, build something significant again. You know, it doesn't that, you know, it didn't need to be the extent of of Wootheems, it just needed to be, you know, successful, um, another successful business. Um, and, you know, I, I 100% actually know that I've I've done that with, with Convergio, you know, until this day. Um, but interesting enough that, that that narrative is now kind of shifted for me where I feel that I, 
kind of was a one-hit wonder, and now I'm just a one-trick pony um, because this success is just very similar to the previous one, um, which is interesting. Um, and I think it it kind of touches on to what you're saying. I, I don't think this this process or the experience of self in that sense isn't isn't rational because I agree. Like if I had to write everything down on a piece of paper that I've achieved and, um, you know, on the other side, all, all the failures, the achievements would totally outweigh the failures. Um, and not that I feel like a failure, but I am aware, still aware of those failures. The mind is a powerful thing. It's a powerful thing. And sometimes I just, I, I think not only as our, our own journeys in entrepreneurship and cre- in creating, making things, whatever you want to call it, digital or physical, like you were saying, you know, when I think to our, our children who are, you know, drawing a simple drawing, you know, the first little stick figure or, you know, today I called Juan Jose's like I thought it was, what was it that I... He, it was a spider and I thought it was something else. And he was like so insulted from now on, like never guessing what it is on his paper. I'm just going to be like, oh, what is that? <laughs> um, before I make any comments. So it's like I, I feel like to them, failure must be so enormously overwhelming. But then it's it's on us to kind of put that in perspective to maybe soften the blow a little so that they don't grow being so afraid of failure, if that even is even possible. I'm not even sure if that's possible, but if there's something that I can do to help that, I definitely want to try. Um, there's something that I, I repeat, and I've said it on the podcast before, it's an affirmation that we use with my kids is um, we don't make big problems out of small things. And he has it, at least the, the elder one, he has ingrained in his brain. Like all the time he'll like, you know, draw something and, and erase and be like, small thing? And I'm like, yeah, buddy, we don't make big problems out of small things. Um, and he has kind of risen to the occasion of that affirmation. Like he now embodies it and and he'll even repeat it to his friends, which is a huge relief. And it's kind of a relief that's like, okay, something I'm doing is working, you know? But it's constant trial and error. And I've seen lately that you've been kind of not even kind of like really getting into poetry, right? Like I'm, I'm curious if you could tell me why poetry. You said it's new to you in a recent post. What brought you to that? Uh, I, I so I don't really know. Um, the the story is that so about a year and a half ago, um, we were in a really tough spot in the business, um, and. I, you know, I, I just felt really tired, um, you know, in that spot. And I felt, uh, you know, if, if, if someone would just take this thing off my hands, you know, give me a couple of dollars, um, you know, they can just have it. Um, and I just did, didn't want to do anything, you know, with it. Um, and it was, I think it was, it was just through that. Um, and I probably went through, you know, through a couple of weeks of, of floating a little bit. Um, and I tried various things to just distract myself. Um, and, I mean, at this stage, at that time, I mean, I, I was reading a lot. Uh, I think I've, I've almost done a hundred books in each of the last two years, for example. Um, and it, it must have been something um, on my Kindle that recommended um, a poet by the name, a lady by the name Rupi Kaur, um, to me. Um, and she, I think, she is the uh, she holds the record for the the like the most you know, copies of a, of a poetry book sold. Um, and I just got into it. And as I got into it, um, and the way she writes is, is very raw, very um, emotional, um, you know, very transparent. Uh, just, you know, got me, 
thinking, you know, I, I kind of liked it. Um, and it got me thinking, like, hey, can you actually write this? And in that writing, what ended up happening was the, the kind of therapy around, you know, going through my own emotions, basically. And, you know, of what I was experiencing at the, at the time. Um, and it just felt like a, a great challenge. And, you know, talking about the, I spoke about the confines of business earlier and giving myself permission to fail. Like, I think poetry has so little rules these days, especially in terms of kind of contemporary po you know, poetry. So, like, whatever, I heard someone say the other day, like, whatever you kind of believe or, you know, whatever you call a poem, that is a poem. Like, there, like nobody needs to label it as such. And I just, I just like that. I mean, as I said, they definitely had that therapeutic process uh, around just kind of you know, writing about my journey and getting the emotions and thoughts that were making it tough for me at the time out, you know, out of my body, out of my mind, out of my heart. Um, but it also just I didn't have any confines and I didn't have to, you know, I didn't have to do it to make money. I didn't have to do it to hit some kind of success metric. I just had to do it for myself, um, which I think was really attractive at the time. I mean, from an outside perspective, it definitely seems to be kind of like the next step in your seeking journey. That's what it seems like. Because, I mean, had you ever read poetry before? I'm not a poetry person, so I'm very curious about this step. I think, for, you know, for me, the biggest part thereof is um, ultimately just down to art, right? So, I mean, I guess the, the thing is, um, you know, the... So I do plan to, I'll fast forward a little bit and I'll you know, take it back. So I do plan, uh, you know, in the next couple of months, um, I hope to publish my first book of poetry called Motion. Um, and it's all based, um, there's a book by uh, Dr. Peter Levine, Waking the Tiger. Um, and he's a psychologist and it's, it's an old school book, but it's all about stress cycles um, and how it's important. Um, and I won't go into too much detail, but how when you're in a moment of stress, it is critically important for you to keep moving um, because if you keep moving, that's the only way to kind of, you know, prevent, you know, trauma, right? Um, and the way he explains it is if you, if you're a deer and you're walking around in the felt and you sense a lion, um, that you'll kind of, apparently the kind of, you know, the animal, they will stand still for a moment. They will feel that pressure, like fight or flight. What should I do? You know, I might be threatened. And then they'll literally have this little tremor where they shake that off and then they keep moving, right? So I think kind of, you know, for me, the, the big thing is that the book is based around that narrative of, you know, going through that stress cycle from beginning to end and that tension, essentially. And the tension for me, there was this, this notion of, I mean, I'm, to some extent I'm dumbing it down, but kind of business and art, um, you know, being confined and having a you know, blank canvas. And I think for me, the, the poetry, like, because those were thoughts that I'd had earlier as well. Like the, the thought that, you know, kind of with business today and especially online where so many things have been done, when we started Blue Themes, and I, I built the first theme in 2007, so that's 12 years ago, right? Um, the internet was the wild, wild west, which meant that business was more art-like. Um, at least online, you could do like the space to just be creative and do and still build a successful business like th that space wide open these days. Yes, creativity is still rewarded, but it's less so there's a formula to follow. Like if you want to you know, grow and scale 
a business. So there's less of that. So for me, exploring that tension between kind of business and art um, was there. And I think I just, as I said, I think that it was a coincidence that I found poetry, but poetry is this manifestation of art. Um, so it could have been something else. I mean, I, I could have stumbled into painting or music. Um, I think poetry was just, for whatever reason, was the thing that, you know, happened, you know, on, on my path and, um, you know, and it happened just the right time, the kind of time that I needed it most. Which kind of correlates with like freedom, no? I mean, I, I know just on a, from a personal uh, level that you, that you enjoy running, right? And running outside. You live in South Africa. I'm sure that running outside in South Africa is probably a very rewarding experience. Um, poetry, as you're ex describing it without the rules and the, and the haiku and the this and the that, and everything that you learn in school, if it's, it sounds like a much more free process. It seems, and, and maybe I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like what the attraction is to like the freedom of expression um, in both running outside, outdoors, there is no constraints as well as in poetry, in a, you call it the contemporary poetry. Like I said, I don't know anything about poetry. That's why I'm so curious about it. Maybe I'll pick up that book that you describe as your first one that, you know, was recommended to you and, you know, explore it. But it seems like it's that that draw to freedom. Yeah, I mean, I, I think freedom is definitely part of it. And I, I, again, the interesting thing is, uh, you know, freedom is also, you know, a value or, you know, a pursuit that is often associated with being an entrepreneur, right? You don't want to work nine to five, you don't want to work for the man, so do your own thing. And I think, you know, whilst that is true, right, if, if all goes well, <laughs> there is freedom or part freedom, you know, within that pursuit. But, um, you know, it isn't entirely free. Um, and I, I agree. Because you have to make money. Yeah, I mean, like, we all have bills to pay, right? I mean, it's it's not necessarily about being the richest person on earth, but, you know, we we have bills to pay. Um, and I think, you know, the, the one thing that I don't want to get away from here is, you know, business is obviously perhaps – so this has kind of helped me as well, but business is mostly a game, right? And the game has certain rules. Whether I agree with it or not doesn't really matter, but the game is set up and there are certain rules, right? And I think if you you know want to you know pursue freedom via building a business, then you have to play by those rules. And one of those rules is you have to make money, right? Because you have to earn you know a salary um, and that pays your bills, right? So I'm not trying to get away from those rules. Um because that's business, but there are other things that I can do in my life, whether it's running, whether it's poetry, that doesn't have that many rules or any rules at all. And I can just do it, you know, free form, um, you know, when I want and without having to actually get to any kind of result, right? There's no outcome. There's no, nothing that needs to be on, on the other side, um, you know, of this journey or process. Which is the difference between a hobby and a business, right? Or, or being an entrepreneur, it's the, the freedom to express without having to make money is, can be, can be, you know, extremely, an extreme relief at, at some times. And, and there's a big thrill to making money as well. You know, as, as an entrepreneur, I, I understand and have felt that thrill, but there's also a huge relief to just relaxing in. This is just for me. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm curious if 
you know, as a seeker, I feel like one of the main themes that come up in these books, like you said, you mentioned, you've read, you know, close to or at a hundred books a year. Um, most people who are seekers meditate. I'm curious, do you meditate? I, yes, I do. Um, in the last, like, I mean, I, so I practice mindfulness, right? Um, and to mindfulness, I, um, I was meditating daily. And I think, I, again, part of this is like the way typical, like entrepreneur brain here. Um, but the way to obviously get into mindfulness and meditation is to meditate every single day and not miss a day. And I, and I did it. I broke my streak after like 327 days. I could never make it like once that happened, like I've not been able to make it that kind of habit again, but I still meditate three, four or five times a day, you know, a week. And I do, I now do it without the kind of constraints. I do it when I, you know, feel that my mind is very busy um, and that I just need a, you know, a little rest and then I'll meditate for, for 10 minutes. So meditation for me in that sense is, is now more of a mindfulness practice than it is about the art of med you know, med meditation or the skill of meditation. Um, and even though I'm very curious about the skill of meditation, I, like I, when I hear someone saying, well, they, they go in these silent retreats where they meditate for you know, eight or 10 hours a day, like they're, they're, I have a lot of curiosity you know, about that. Um, but that also just wouldn't fit my, you know, my life right now. So um, yeah, so I mean, to, to answer your question in a short way, so yes, I meditate on and off, um, and it is part of my greater mindfulness practices. Um, but there's no, I don't have a specific routine or, or habit around it. It's interesting that I, I used to try meditation and try and try and try, and it never really stuck. But then, you know, I, I was raised in the Catholic faith, and I wasn't, um, I wouldn't call myself very Catholic until, even to this day, but, um, I kind of refound my faith as I, my own, I, I don't want to call it like my own version, but um, my own relationship to a higher power in, as I became a parent. And through that journey, I encountered something called centering prayer. Have you ever heard about centering prayer? Okay. Well, it's, it's actually really interesting because I've always been in, interested in psychology and I've always been interested in mindfulness and, you know, I've interested in, in faith topics, but then suddenly out of nowhere, I was introduced to centering prayer, which is kind of a com it's a combination of the three or in, and many other things where basically the centering prayer kind of movement talks a lot about the false self and the ego, which is like a huge interest of mine. Um, and it's 20 minutes of meditation with with a prayer kind of layer on top of it, which you can take or leave. But um, it's really interesting how this Catholic movement that I didn't know existed talks about the ego and letting go of the ego through meditation. And I was like, why does nobody talk about this? And they talk about it like if it's a Buddhist thing, you know, um, I'm like this has been around for thousands of years in other faith traditions as well. So cool. So. To make a long story short, um, centering prayer ended up being like the, the gateway that worked for me. You know what I mean? Like this was the type of meditation that worked for me. And I try to do it 20 minutes a day, not every day, but I try. But what I notice is that the more that I do it, the more, let's say the better my relationships are 
you know, even just two days of doing it. And suddenly my marriage seems better. My kids are more peaceful. You know, I'm like, obviously they're not changing. It's me, but it's so powerful how the brain, when you kind of tell it to shut up for a little while, um, reacts in kind of like producing serenity or like peace of mind. I don't know if you have found similar fruits in, in your meditation or mindfulness practice. For kind of the, the big context that I can share here is that if I was very much forced um, to learn more about mindfulness and meditation um, because I, I got to a point in my life about three years ago now that I almost completely wrecked it. I mean, my, my therapist said at the same time that my, my brain was on fire constantly, meaning fight or flight mode constantly, which was always, you know, healthy, you know, kind of helpful in any environment, um, you know, in my life. So, um, I mean, and, and hence why, you know, in the beginning, I was very, very disciplined and diligent, you know, about meditation. Um, and I, I can just kind of add to, to kind of, you know, what you said about, you know, finding your own Gatorade, I think is what you, you, you called it. Um, for me as well, so, I mean, I, I was brought up um, as a Christian, uh, I think, specifically Dutch Reformed, right? Not that I, you know, care m much for denominations and stuff. But in my adult life, I had lost a bit of the kind of the connection with it because the metaphors in the Bible just didn't resonate the same way they did as, as, as a kid. Yet I, I, I've always maintained this, this, the belief at least that there, there is a higher power, right? Um, it might not be the same higher power that kind of the Bible describes, or it may be the same higher power that all religions describe. But the thing that really got, that I got from meditation and where that uh, um, kind of reconnected me to greater spirituality is the idea, and I think, uh, if I remember correctly, I think it was um, a book called The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle that first got me onto the idea, but the idea that kind of, you know, God, whatever you want to kind of describe your God, is probably just this consciousness within us. And that's also the same consciousness that connects all of us. And anyway, that kind of, that, that concept, that idea um, just really resonates with me, right? And as I said, it, it's probably inspired more of my interest, um, you know, in Christianity, at least to the extent that, like, we are bringing up our, Christ our, our Christians, our kids as, you know, within the Christian faith, at least. Our own version thereof um and we do kind of you know pick and choose parts thereof um but kind of that's and i agree with you by the way like, i don't think mindfulness and meditation is you know just an eastern thing or just a buddhist thing i think it, i think we're all just saying the same kind of things um the western world has just kind of ignored ignored big parts of for for centuries yeah. And, and I think that like when I say Gatorade, it's like some people like praying the rosary and they get into a meditative kind of state doing that. Some people like doing yoga and that's how they connect. And some people like whatever. And um, for me, it was this thing, right, that I told you about, but which is basically 20 minutes of meditation. It's just a like I said, a layer of prayer. But there's this quote that I love, which is and, and I, I don't even I could look it up. I'll look it up later, but I'll put it in the show notes and it says, you know, knowing God is more important than knowing about God. Cause I'm like, I don't know the Bible. I'm sorry. I just don't, I don't know the Beatitudes. I don't know. I know the 10 commandments. If you ask me to 
like tell you right now, I'll probably miss a few. But the point, that's not the point. The point is that I connect directly, you know, and it's not like God's talking to me or higher powers talking to me. It's just meditation is my way of connecting and listening. Like I said, he's not, nobody's talking to me, but I'm open to what's out there, you know, and, and, and less of me, more of that. You know what I mean? Um, and it's, it's a really interesting concept to share with, with my children. Like you said, like, yeah, you pick and choose. Cause there's some messages that aren't like, no, they, they don't resonate with my beliefs, but, but it's so interesting as well to, you know, how they say that when you teach something, it's how you learn best. So like, there's this, I read about, have you read this book, uh, reality? So what's it called? Reality. It's by, hold on. I'm going to look this up. I'm going to look this up. So there's this book where they describe this alternative school in New York. And what happens in this book is that in this school, is that the kids don't get homework. They get each of them on a computer has like a little avatar where they go home from school and they teach their avatar the things that they learned at school that day. And through teaching that little avatar, they learn better than doing homework, right? And so what it's so interesting that when I have to teach my kids or pass on the faith or, or whatever it is that our beliefs, it's really difficult because you have to find a way and a language to explain these concepts that are so difficult, but at the same time, it helps you wrap your mind around it even better. You know, does that make sense? I'm still looking up this book's name. Like you know, whether it's religion or just, I think most life lessons where you're kind of, you know, taking that message, um, kind of finding clarity. Like it's how, I think for me, the thing that immediately pops to mind is, um, you know, great design isn't about what you add, it's about what you take away. And I think the same thing is like when you have to teach you know, someone else something, like you have to, the best teachers will take away all the noise and will only have signal, right? Um, and especially with kids, like kids where, where, especially when they're younger, they have, you know, limited, um, you know, kind of life experience, limited vocabulary. So you have to not necessarily dumb it down, but you have to be able to transmit the message in a way that is true to the message, but doesn't have all the other fluff because they that will go you know over the head and they will miss the message completely. So that um, that makes a lot of sense. Well, the book is called "Reality Is Broken" by Jane McGonigal, and it's all about gamification. And I read this way back in the day, like 2010 or 2012 or something, and that's when they talk about this interesting school and how they gamify education by this avatar. I thought it was so cool. Um, yeah. Anyway. I'm curious, what, what book are you currently reading? Mr. I read all the time. I really need some like insight to how you read so much. <laughs> I am currently reading, I'm reading a couple of things. So that's the first tip here is I, um, this, the, I didn't come to this, um, Naval Ravikant, the, the founder of Angelist. He, I listened to him and he essentially has zero, he has complete disregard for the traditional way of reading a book. So he, a couple of things that I picked up from him um, that that I now apply is if I start reading a book, even if I paid you know ten or fifteen bucks for it, if by the first fifteen percent it doesn't grip me, like I just I just don't read you know, further. I just kill it right there. I, I don't have that guilt anymore about 
kind of you know honoring the purchase I made. Um, so that's the first thing. He I don't do this often, but I do this sometimes. Like he totally advocates for just reading any part of the book anytime. Like he says you don't have to read it in the order that the author wanted you to read it, right? So he'll just kind of open the book anywhere and read what is interesting to him and read in whatever order. Um, I do that more now. Um, I will skip parts that aren't that interesting, um, especially if I've sought out a book about a specific topic and I want to learn more about that. Um, I think many books include a lot of just fluff um, that's not that aligned with, with that. So I do do, do that. And, but the biggest thing that helped me read more was um, I made it a practice. So I, uh, there's two, two times of the day that I always read now. So I read first thing in the morning um, for the first half an hour before I have to wake up the kids for school. Um, I will read then. Um, and I read on a Kindle so that I don't uh, basically avoid my phone and avoid all the stimuli that's there. And um, I will also read at nighttime before bed because it helps me fall asleep. Um, and crucially, at nighttime, I don't read nonfiction anymore. It has to be, um, it has to be poetry or it has to be um, actual fiction. Um, so I've definitely read a lot more fiction last year because otherwise, if it's nonfiction, my um, my brain is overstimulated and then I can't, you know, can't fall asleep. Oh, definitely. I was going to ask that because like nonfiction is like, oh, now I should try this. Now I should try that. Let me jot this down. I didn't think about that. Here, let me send a survey. Like it's always the brain starts, especially as an entrepreneur, the brain starts. All the things that we should be doing. Exactly. So, so that's. I mean, for me now, that's a hard and fast rule. Like any nonfiction, and doesn't it just have to be a business book, right? Um, like any serious book. Like I do not read it at nighttime because it will get my mind, you know, going again. Um, and I already have kind of a challenge of like even on a good day without reading anything, um, I struggle to fall asleep. So doing that will just just aggravate that. Um, but I said, I mean, it's, it's helped me kind of, I've read a lot of poetry, um, again, because that's been topical, but I've also read, I've read like fiction books that I would have never gotten into if I didn't create that space and I didn't, I wouldn't say apply that rule, but kind of made that decision to, to read fiction um, at nighttime. And I, I'm not a big sci-fi guy at all, um, but I even read some sci-fi and listened to some sci-fi audiobooks. I mean, um, it's, it's just been fun. Like, it's just, I definitely feel like I've, I've broadened my own horizons um, in doing so. You know, I, I share that with you because coming from like a decade of reading self-help books and business books, and now I read some more like parenting and, and faith books. I recently, over Thanksgiving uh, break, I was in the States and I picked up a book, a physical hardcover book for one of my best friends because I was going to give it to her as a Christmas gift. And it's, it's called Educated. It's one of like the best books of last year. I don't know if you had a chance to read it, but I was like, you know, I'm a little bored. I'm just going to read like one page. Um, the next day I had finished it and I just couldn't put it down. It is a pretty long book. I couldn't put it down. And that's something that happens, like just get swept up in another world. And it was incredibly satisfying to go back into story, not so much instruction, you know, but the story and the emotion that happens in that is, is so gratifying on a different level than just reading. And, and not all self-help books are dry. It's not that they're dry. It's just that story is so soothing sometimes, even when it's painful. I recommend the book. It's amazing. It is on my list, by the way. I, I, I um, and you've definitely kind of, you know, upped, um, you know, or 
made sure that it goes higher. Oh my, so good. So good. And it's not, it's not fiction, actually. It's nonfiction, but it reads like fiction. Like, really, AD, you have to read this book. So, so, and that's the thing is like, I mean, to your point, it's nonfiction, but it's a story, right? And I think for me, at least, many of the nonfiction stuff that I read, um, it is not a story. And I probably go into the book looking for something, right? Meaning, like, there is some outcome that I'm hoping to achieve, with this, I'm hoping to learn, blah, blah, blah. And I think, again, like for me at least, um, that's a little bit tainted. And not tainted at least, but perhaps that's just, it's just sometimes a little boring, like to go into everything in life and have to do it to get something out of it. Whereas for me, when I read poetry, I have, there's no goal, right? Um, when I read fiction, it's just, I'm just floating with the story. It doesn't matter how weird this gets. Um, I'm just going with the author, like, you know, within that, you know, kind of you know, half an hour of reading, I'm just in the author's hands and I'm just following along with the story. There is no outcome there. Um, I don't have to finish the book. I'm just enjoying that half an hour of reading. Um, and I'm not saying don't read the nonfiction stuff. I still do. Um, but I'm closer to half and half um, in terms of the kinds of stuff that I read these days. Yeah. And it, for me, it feels like straight up like self-care. It's just for fun. It's just for me. It's for nothing else. Just for fun, and that that is very soothing. Uh, speaking of self care, you mentioned therapy. Do you still do that as a practice, or no? Uh, n- no, I do it ad hoc. Um, so my biggest challenge actually is that the therapist that uh, that, that really helped me and um, you know got me into mindfulness. It's a uh, it's quite a trek for me to to see her. So I live out in the sticks. Um, if everyone listening kind of, you know, comes to Cape Town, I live in the beautiful Winelands, um, which is about an hour outside of Cape Town city center itself. Um, so it takes me, if I want to see my therapist, um, it takes me like hour to get there at least hour, um, you know, appointment and then an hour to get back home. Um, and that's just very, very disruptive. So I, I've, I've stopped that, um, and it's been interesting thing has been on my list to just find a therapist that's closer to me. Um, but this, I mean, this lady has just set the bar so high. So I, I, I'm very reluctant to seek someone else um, that can't meet those standards, um, which is why I've not. And there's a connection. There's yes, there's a connection, and I said I, I, I have the, the the utmost respect and gratitude, um, you know, for the changes that she helped me implement. Um, as I, said, I mean, I. You know, without going into too much, but I mean, I, I, I had really gone off the rails three years ago and I really needed, um, you know, a, a good talking to back then. And I needed help, right? So as I said, immense kind of respect and gratitude. Um, and it's just hard to replace that in a one-on-one way. But um, I would love to just see someone, like even every second week and just be able to talk me um, and do so in a way that, you know, isn't, doesn't come with all the other strings attached. You know, I started this year going to therapy weekly. I was like, 2019, I'm going to do this for fun. I'm going to go to therapy every single week just for fun, like in a, not in a crisis, as in a preventative, like self-care, um, be my best self for me and for my family and for everyone, and to create kin from the beginning, from a, the best place possible. And my therapist just recently downgraded me to every other week. And I'm like, okay, fine. Because it's so much fun 
to, I mean, there have been a few weeks, like, don't get me wrong. There's been a few weeks where I'm like, I need to talk to somebody today, but I would say maybe the majority of the weeks have just been like, sometimes I don't even know what I'm going to talk about today, but I'm going to sit there and then something comes out and she is so helpful again, where it's like, I didn't even know that there was something going on today, but my marriage, my projects, my limiting beliefs, like there's so many things that there are just down there, even when you're not dealing with it in the moment, you know, like there's just a, sometimes a level of like suck that, um, you're not even aware of. And then suddenly they help you dig out and dig out. And suddenly it becomes like a, something beautiful. Uh, I'm so, it's something that I'm also so grateful for. No, that, 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 that makes a little sense. I think, um, you know, you used the, 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 the word earlier. I think it's just self-care, right? So like if, you can, if you can afford yourself that time and space to actually kind of invest an hour of your time to, to talk to a professional that can add value to your life, I think that's, that's such a rich experience um, and such a helpful thing to, to, to have. Especially coming as a person who doesn't really take advice from most people very kindly. <laughs> like, it's hard for me being so in tune with what I want. I know what I want and I know what I like and I know how I like things. And it's not that I don't take feedback. It's that you might tell me like, I don't like that photo because this and this and you might want to crop it and you're whatever. I'm like... I did that on purpose because I really like it this way. That's what I like, you know? So to sit with somebody who somehow gets through and I respect so much where she doesn't even tell me what to do. She just asks the right questions. You know, sometimes she'll be like, poof, poof, like Marcela, no, you know? <laughs> but um, it's, it's very valuable as somebody who has such a strong personality like I do to have somebody who gets through and I am willing to and happy to listen to her perspective. That's rare. Totally. Yeah. Okay. So three years ago, last time we talked, we were just in that press pause moment, right? Where, um, you were going through all these things. What are you currently working on? Something maybe that, uh, that you're super proud of? Ooh, um, I mean, I definitely kind of the, the poetry stuff. I think that's, if I had to look, um, you know, at my, at my life on a weekly basis, um, I, I'm proud of the stuff that I'm doing, and I'm, you know what, I'm most proud of, because the, the content, what I'm putting out there is being teased out, right, so there's some strategy there, but I'm actually most proud of the, the, the habits and routines that I've um, kind of recreated or restarted just below that, so I actually have a proper writing habits again, um, and I have a proper kind of, you know, weekly publishing habit with regards to, you know, putting new stuff out on my blog again, you know, all, all the things that I had kind of neglected, um, you know, over the years. So, you know, for me, um, that, that, that's just energizing at this stage. As I said, I, it, it's energizing. Um, it creates, it creates energy, not just for, for doing those things and doing more of it, um, but definitely also to, to reapply that energy elsewhere and, you know, in my life and also, you know, with, within Convergio. Yeah. And, and, and I'm, I'm really, I mean, I know you've been sharing some of it on your blog and, and I'm subscribed to your blog. So tell everybody if they want to read your poetry and they want to be, you know, kind of in tune for when you do put out the book in a couple months, where can they find you? Yeah. So, um, the best place is 
definitely on ad.me. Uh, so that's my blog. Subscribe to the newsletter. Um, I only send a, you know, a single weekly email. Um, that's, that's the best place, right? Um, if you want to read some of my poetry, um, then the best place is Instagram at this stage. Um, and I'm just at 80 on Instagram. Um, and I try and share some, you know, some bits of the poetry that will be in the book that's out in two, three months time, um, as well as the stuff that I've been writing for the next book. Um, that's, uh, that is a little more, bit more romantic and magical. Um, so the, the, the stuff that I've been writing recently, uh, is very different to the stuff that I wrote initially, but we'll stick to, to publishing the, the earlier stuff first, um, and then probably get into, get into the newer stuff later this year. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you, Adi, for being on the podcast and for sharing all of that with us. Um, it's definitely a very, very different conversation than we had three years ago. And I, and I hope that not only is it not three years till we have the next one, but, um, it's, it's kind of awesome to see that process, you know, and, and we're both on very different paths in, in our seeking journeys, but it's so cool to see, to learn from yours and, and to see it evolving. And, um, yeah, thank you. Thank you for being so open. Honestly. Thanks for having me um, for the, not the first time, firstly. Um, and thanks for giving me kind of the opportunity. I think, you know, kind of, this is definitely always an indulgence, you know, for me as well to, to be able to open up um, and to be able to chat to, to like-minded, you know, people that I also admire and you know, respect um, is, you know, it's a lot of fun for me as well. Um, I definitely enjoy it. So um, as always, it was great to be here. All right. That's it for our interview with AD. Thank you so much, AD, for being on the show and for being so honest and open, like I mentioned. But also thank you for listening. I know that it's always so cool to listen to another perspective. And for me, just an awesome experience to talk to somebody literally from halfway across the world. So this case is Nicaragua to South Africa. Thank you for listening to this awesome, awesome conversation. It was so fun for me to record. As always, I would love it if you could hop on over to iTunes and leave us an honest review, hopefully five stars, if that's how you feel, and share the show with somebody who you know might enjoy it. So, and always, thank you to Mario Callejas for the music for the show. I'm so grateful that he lets us use my favorite song, Yellow, as the intro and outro for the show. Mario, you're the best. Thanks again for listening. I will talk to you next week. So tune in for the next episode next week. This is Marcela signing off.